Ho, 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 John T. Mantis. Oh my god, what the fuck was that? <laughs> I, I don't know. So I'm in the spirit. The holiday spirit. Oh, wow. This is not what I had in mind when I said we needed to do a holiday bonus intro, but I love it. Let's go for it. Wait, should there be like sleigh bells in the background or something? Yeah, let's put sleigh bells in and then like the sounds of battle and men screaming and dying. Because the holiday spirit can only be struck by a magic weapon and it has level drain. That's right. That's right. Why are we doing a holiday uh, bonus intro? Is it for our holiday bonus episode? It is. We have an episode so full of holiday cheer and jolly heartiness that we just thought you who might be sitting on the couch with a mug of hot cocoa, watching the snow fall and thinking about sugar plums dancing through your heads might enjoy to hear about Final Thunder, the maker of toys. That's right. Or the holiday that Jesse, I and uh, and his wife Carrie made up called Wharf Day. So on this bonus episode today, you'll be getting to hear about that. Next week, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled Creations Without Number. But for now, enjoy a bit of holiday cheer. The end credits map looked too much like runes. Oh, yeah. I can see that. As he who inscribes the grudge book, that makes yes. sense. As the grudge miser. That's what it is. Uh, the... There's a new grudge miser this year. Oh, really? Yeah. Bought the book. Has been learning the runes, consulting me with tricky issues of translation and transcription. Is it our boy, Kurt? No. No. It's Chris. Oh, nice. Yeah. I've been consulting him and training him in grudge misering. Wow. The grudge apprentice becomes the grudge miser. And it's funny as he finds new sources and I go through, I'm like, oh yeah, I use this one, but this isn't right for this one. Like, where did I get this from? And I'm now at the point that I think I might have looked at Buckland's book of witchcraft on the rune section and then translated the runes on the cover of my green leather bound version of the Hobbit and then translated the runes on the cover of the Jethro Toll album, The Beastie and the Broadsword. And that hodgepodge of those three sources is the runes that I and I alone have been using to write the grudge. Dear listener, <laughs> you don't know this about us, but we invented a holiday. So true. Dwarf Day. It is a celebration of Moradin and dwarven kind. There's the roasting of meats, the drinking of meads, the growing and braiding of beards and hair. The throwing, the throwing of hammers. Throwing of hammers. Uh, there is a grudge book where the grudges of all the dwarves attending are recorded for the year. It's kind of like Festivus is what people say. And then they go in the fucking grudge book. Mm -hmm. That'll get you in the grudge book. That'll get a grudge in. Yeah. And there's a, and the grudge miser every year we've added some new aspect to this ridiculous tradition. Mm -hmm. So the person who writes in the grudge book in runes is the grudge miser. And it's been me forever. Um, and every year someone says, oh, next dwarf day, I'll do the grudge miser job. I'm like, okay. And they never <laughs> do. And so the first grudge for the grudge book is whoever said they would do the grudge book last year. Yeah. Because they don't understand they have to learn runes in order to do it. Yes. 
and not like runes that are in a book apparently, but ones that I sort of made up mm. based on four or five different sources when I was a teenager. Yeah, that tracks. So and the then origin, wrote my journals in. The origin story of this holiday comes from when Jesse and uh, his wife Carrie uh, and myself, we were roommates uh, and we were uh, horribly sick and couldn't go home for Thanksgiving. And so we stayed home. Uh, we invented a holiday because we couldn't go to Thanksgiving. And it involved us when we finally started feeling better, we needed to go out and get medicine for Carrie, right? So we no, all went. This no? is not the story. Okay, tell the story then. You're going in the grudge book. Uh oh. You've forgotten the origin. Yeah, I thought we were we getting went somebody to medicine. a Thanksgiving in the suburbs mm. with, I can't remember, I think your family. And the next day, Carrie was a little sick. And the next day, Carrie was very sick. And we started getting sick on the mm. Friday. After. So you said, I have this great cure for a cold, which involves eating thousands of milligrams of vitamin C and echinacea. Mm -hmm. So I so we went to the cvs to get that that same friday because that's why we have always said it's the day after thanksgiving that was the first dwarf day and i said hey the game store is right across the street let's go buy some dwarf miniatures we can paint them it can be like a dwarf day or something and that was the first dwarf day so you let me lie about this for like two three minutes before correcting me yeah Thanks. I thought you were just doing the broad strokes, but no, I was trying to be specific. Okay. This shows you, dear listener, how infallible human memory actually is. Yeah, it does. And then the next year we had mead for Dwarf Day and mm -hmm. like, let's have a party for Dwarf Day this year. And then that was the first real, you know, drinking party. And we've just added to it ever since. There's now like a five pound mallet with runes wood burned on the handle that rests atop the grudge book all year the grudge book is a leather bound volume goes back i think seven or eight years mm -hmm. with the grudges recorded in it each year mm -hmm. and there's now lawn games to go with the throwing of hammers mm -hmm. the little dwarflings now carry uh plastic axes and swords and guard the grudge miser during the recording of grudges oh okay and do you are you still making dwarven themed cookies every year mm -hmm. that's carrie's bag because there's a lot there's a lot of kids at dwarf day this, this now and uh yeah 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 okay well you guys actually celebrate it i just tell people i invented a hol co-invented a holiday i don't actually celebrate it in chicago we could have satellite dwarf days mm -hmm. it's fine So I heard something crazy today. Which was? So I've been listening to this uh, Harmonious Understanding of Everything, an Exalted podcast by some of the line developers. And it's like, I think like 35 episodes, pretty limited series, but they go through the world, the rules, character creation, blah, blah, blah. But in the first episode, which I finally got around to listening to, they describe it as a success-based game. Uh, really? As 
Yeah, like the consequences of success. And I thought that was a really, really interesting. What does that mean? The consequences of success? So like the comparison they used is like in D&D, a lot of times you're dealing with the consequence of failure, you mm-hmm. know, like I think they actually use the example of like failing a perception check and stepping on a trap um, or like missing in combat and then having to take a hit from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're a really great example. They're like in Exalted, you roll 35 dice to attack a bridge. <laughs> 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 and you know, with 35 dice, you could blow up a bridge. And so then you have to deal with the consequence of having done that. Mm-hmm. So you, you are pretty much most of the time going to be successful. Um, and the consequences of that success are where the play arc is something to do with the way the dice pools are tuned with throwing giant handfuls of D10. And I thought, oh, that's, that's a very different style. It was pretty interesting. Yeah, when you mentioned it, I thought you were going the fail fail forward route. That no matter what you do, you will attain your goal. The roles just determine how it happens. The complications that ensues. Like 4th edition Dungeons and Dragons was big on fail forward, but gave you really terrible tools to try to mitigate it. That's where I thought you were going with it. I didn't think this was going to end in blowing up a bridge with 35 dice. Yeah. I mean, like I can't, I, anything, a character that I ever like anytime I ever rolled dice for a thing, I made my character to do in exalted anytime I've ever played. Um, I've never failed. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've generally done successes. So overwhelming. It's sort of rewritten the world. Um, which is kind of the point though of exalted, right? Yeah. Yeah. Godlike power or demigodlike power. Mm-hmm. They got this new thing, I think, in the new edition called like Essence Fever, where like a young exalt is compelled to use their power to do things in the world. And yeah, so you do big, terrible ideas and deal with the consequences of your success. Mm-hmm. What happens to the older exalts? They're just like, fuck it, who cares? Well, the older exalts are just like, yeah, I did that when I was young, but now I'm more chill. So I'm just going to be, you know, making like this mountain fall in love with me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just going to sit or sit at the center of the ocean in a throne made of praying mantis who are still alive, feeding off my tears. Yeah. And then when I get bored, I'm going to make this whole entire ocean fall in love with me and then we'll make a baby. <laughs> I guess that's how my exalted fanfic would go, you know? <laughs> he sat upon the mantis throne beneath the waves. Until he made it fall in love with him. Mm-hmm. And then they had a baby. Mm-hmm. And that baby was... Val Kilmer. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I encounter... We did, we kind of touched on, on this on the skills episode, uh, but I just want to throw it all out. You know what I mean? Like when fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons specifically, since that's the, you know, that's the popular language we all speak basically. It's like, why would you tie up so many things behind a thing that could go wrong? You know, I want to transmit, I want this trap to go off. I spent time working on it or at least 
spend time in quotes. Like I looked this up on the internet and found a cool idea for a trap that somebody came up with. And then they didn't notice it or they did notice it. Like, why not just have the trap go off and then start giving them roles to deal with it? This thing's happening no matter what. This trap is going off. Let's see you get out of it Indiana Jones style. Yep. That sounds like more more exciting. Um, Yeah. But I think it's the... It's the binary nature of skill checks in D and D. My my other that made reminded me this thing I read. Someone had this long tweet thread about advice for writing adventures for D and D, and one of the things that just stuck in my head that I was like, oh yeah, there's no skill check as a reaction. Mm-hmm. Like make a perception check. Like that should be an action because any time you make an attribute check that's an action if you want a reaction it's a saving throw Mm. so i was like what if to spot that trap it was a wisdom saving throw to see it Mm -hmm. does that change the arc you know i mean that could change the whole play structure if every time they need to react something react to something it isn't a perception check it's a saving throw yeah. You know, I mean, it's adding an additional role on top of everything, but at the same time, I mean, this, this is also kind of a sticky subject, right? Because anytime you say, okay, we'll make the blah, blah check. And they're like, okay, I got a, I got a 13. Oh, you didn't make it. Anyway, you guys continue down the path. Like you've created a suspense of like, you, you've created distrust between you and the players. As soon as you start asking for roles. Like, have you ever heard of the method? I don't know what it's called. Maybe our listeners could write into the show and let us know, but keep it brief. What is the style of play where uh, the character sheets are all held by the DM or GM and the GM makes all the roles? Like um, Dan Harmon, Harmontown, this is how they played. Like all the sheets go to Spencer. Spencer runs the games. He rolls, tells you whether you made it or not. Hmm. I don't know if that has a name. I yeah, I don't know if I'd want to do that. I th- it sounds like a great like in the context of Harmontown, it sounds like a great teaching tool. Mm-hmm. Like to just get people used to the idea that like dice determine success or failure. Mm-hmm. But I mean, D and D very much hangs on the idea that failure is a possibility. Yeah. And I think the thing they were saying about Exalted that I had never thought of before, but yeah, it's like, it's not much of a possibility in Exalted. It's the game is not about demigods who fail. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, about I demigods mean, who meet their mortal enemy and then decide they like each other. And maybe they kiss in the moonlight after a duel. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, how do you transmit godlike power with an arbitrary dice mechanic that is generally in most modern games tilted towards the player? Yeah. Like you're like you roll like you roll dice for what reason? Because it's fun. That's yep. really the only reason to roll dice because it's fucking fun. Like human beings like rolling dice. We love it, man. When I did a craft rule in my last exalted campaign and I threw 15 dice on the table and then unpicked, <laughs> like I'm like, sorry, guys, I know technically I'm just making a chair here, like not even a magic chair. Like it's a really good chair because I'm going to give it to this village grandmother. So she'll <laughs> like us. Um, 
It was fun. <laughs> like that's fun. Yeah, but that chair will be so well done and so finely crafted that it will be passed down generation to generation to generation to generation so that when you come back hundreds of years later, they still have the chair and they mm -hmm. still tell the story and you've come back and now they, you know, the town, they love you. You're just playing the yeah. long con when you're when you're an exalted. It was that's, the uh... that's the kind of exalted game I want to do. That's yeah, the story of when Final Thunder came to the village and crafted this chair Final for the Thunder. That was his name, Final Thunder. Was uh, that a joke? That's hilarious. No, that was what I named my character because oh, it's no. I'm yeah. sorry. I've I've character shamed you. What no, no, no. You you know what his deal was? No. Tell me. Okay. I I but you don't want to hear about my character. You... I want to hear about interesting characters. And as okay. we all know, when you work in a gaming store, like you did, I don't know what that unique horror is like, but when you work in a gaming store, people tell you about their characters and they're not interesting. So as a general <laughs> rule, don't tell other people about your characters. Our listeners, they signed up for this. This is free. You're welcome. So you're going to hear all about our terrible characters because <laughs> you so... have the option of never listening to us again. <laughs> uh exalted third edition mm. one of the most controversial aspects of when the game came out one of the controversial aspects of the mechanics was its crafting system gotcha okay so the crafting system is basically there's like three tiers of xp like copper silver and gold and you earn experience by crafting it's a special experience track for crafting so you make mundane, normal items to get uh, copper experience points. And then you use that to make cool-ass magic stuff uh, that gets you silver and, or gets you, yeah, you burn that to get silver and then you burn the silver stuff by crafting that cool magic next to your stuff to get gold that you use to like make an engine that eats the sun or, you know, some other mm -hmm. crazy like artifact stuff so if you are a crafter in that game interacting with the craft charms you need to be making stuff all the time like you're talking to one of your soldiers in the army of just raised from the peasantry and you're like carving him a little wooden horse or something um so my whole shtick is i ran this wood carver shop and i had a bunch of orphans that hung around and i fed them gruel every morning and i made them toys Brilliant. I mean, his concept was he was Santa. I made Santa Claus in an exalted game and I named him Final Thunder. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yep. And they were toys for all the him. children and all the good children of the town and uh, doomed to the forces of darkness that violate the will of heaven. That's wonderful. Exalted really is a realm of opportunity. It really success. is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how did you decide on the name Final Thunder? Did you have to roll on a table? I think I just went, there's like a couple random generators and I just clicked a couple times on a random Exalted name generator until I got one that was like, well, that's, that's cheesy. I'm going to take that. Mm hmm. Okay. Do you commonly come up with your own names or do you like search them out? Um, I think I'm like 
80% roll on a generator until I see something that I like that I might tweak. And then 20% like just if I have a strong concept of the character. Right on. I'll do that. But, you know, a lot of time I want to get like, this is one of my weird exacting things about games. I want to get the phonology of their fictional culture, right? Oh, weird. Okay. Let's hear more about this. Like, I don't, I don't want to have like, you know, if we were playing a game in modern day America, I wouldn't want my character to be Garvek. Like, why not? Because that doesn't sound like it's a name that's fitting of our culture in time. Your culture. Yeah. My uncle's name was Garvik. Oh, well, tell Uncle Garvik I'm sorry. I can't. He's dead. Thanks. Okay. Here's a good example of a name. <laughs> sorry. Rest in power, King. Um, here's a good example of a name that doesn't mm-hmm. really seem to fit with the phonology of modern American English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Logro. You got to add some phlegm into it. Yeah, there you go. I don't yeah. think I finished. <laughs> yeah, well, then you're definitely a follower of Logro. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, he is a god of, of life and suffering and subjugation and light. Yeah. And he he's a prisoner in the bottom of the sea. The sun, the eye sun spell in last night's game was. Oh, did you like that? I loved that. That's a cantrip. Yep. Words of radiance, I think, is what came up. (laughs) Yeah, I'm on this weird kick where it's like I want to describe things that when I'm a player character in a 5e D&D game, I just want to describe things in like a ridiculously epic way whether or not it matches up with what I just did. So casting word of radiance and I'm like, yeah, up in the sky, the clouds part and the sun, you know, it it just starts burning with this obscene radiance. And it just seems to get closer and closer and closer to the earth. I said for, you know, for my allies, they don't see any different, but for my enemies who didn't fail this or who didn't succeed at the saving throw, they're being burned alive you know, in their own minds. It's a cantrip. I just got yeah, lucky because they died from it because they had I, almost no hit points. I have a game for you if you like to do that. <laughs> like, look, I'm a complicated individual. <laughs> it's called Exalted. <laughs> I played Exalted. Extra, it's fun. You get extra dice for doing that shit. It's fun. I got no qualms with Exalted. I guess I got no qualms with the version of exalted that i played yeah it it took me a while to wrap my head around the concept of exalted but i'm i'm a more mature gamer now yeah one of the things and again i got this from the podcast but i had to agree with them because they were the designers is like exalted third edition like i don't know if D does this you can good effect but like you need system mastery from the GM and the players to really have exalted sing. Mm-hmm. And it's a kind of a big ask. Yeah. But you also need complete buy-in. And I think in our, the thing about our exalted game, the one time that I played in it, we had some people in the group that were either brand new to RPGs or had only played like a little bit of third edition D and D. 
and those people had full buy-in. So even if we didn't have the system mastery, which I think you were, you and the person running the game were the only people with the system mastery in that case. <laughs> but I mean, that's really what got me through the game is that um, Carrie and Sally, uh, both of them had full buy-in. Like they were just like all in. And yeah. I think, and I think that that's a that's an often overlooked positive trait of a good gaming experience is you just fucking go all in and it makes it better for everybody. Yeah, Sally's character Abu Akma. I'm just gonna ride the earth on my war elephant with my rack staff. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. It was I still remember kicked my character's ass because I invited a challenge. That's like one of my, the coolest moments in gaming that I can think of. And it happened like tell a gamer story. Violate okay, the gamer second story. Law. Here we go. Here's second gamer story. We were playing an exalted game and we were playing as lunar exalted. Uh, they are the chosen of the moon. They are shape changers, tricksters, enemies of civilization. <laughs> um, Cause it makes people weak or they were in second edition exalted. So we had this group of lunar exalted and my character was sort of the, mastermind and like priest who had bound our circle together he was called the riddleback and we had a situation where there was a difference of opinions in which way we should go and like leaning into the animal nature of people that have like part animal like who have an animal spirit form because they're shape changers um i turned my back to abba akma or abu akma the elephant riding martial artist of the south um, to show that I did not think she was worthy to challenge me very much playing up that that is why I am doing that. And she stepped up and because she was a badass martial artist, she <laughs> kicked my ass in like one round of combat, which is incredible for exalted just like, and I had to like bare my neck and like yield and then like Abu got to decide. Yeah. And there yeah. wasn't any hesitation on her part. If I remember. She was no. just, she was just like, are you kidding me? Oh, hell no. And uh -huh. then, just, and then dice came out and that's what I'm talking about. Like, I don't disagree with you about system mastery, but what made the magic in that part is that you, you gave that bid from, from player character to player character. And she didn't sit there and go, well, wait a minute. Can I even attack him? And she's never really played a role-playing game before to my understanding. Yeah. Uh, but she understood what we were doing and she went all in on it and, and, uh, and, and, and that's where the magic came from. And she didn't go for a kill. She just like, I'm just going to humiliate you. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is what I was inviting. Like that's yeah. Yeah. Yep. Going I, all I in. I wish Carrie's character, she never, we never played long enough for Carrie's character to find out that I was the one who had had her husband killed. That was the other thing hanging in the out. context of our audience. Harry <laughs> was our roommate who was Jesse's at the time, Jesse's significant other. and is now his wife and the mother yes. of his children. <laughs> and this motherfucker, my beautiful best friend here makes a character whose secret is, is that he had his girlfriend's character's husband murdered. Before the game even starts. 
And it's a secret. He was accepting the blessing of our beast tribe. (laughs) He was an impediment. Like, that is why I'm hashtag blessed as as a gamer. Like, this is what I had to work with. Like, I should say, this is what I, I was blessed with to work with at the gaming table. Was, like, this kind of creativity. And, like I said, the two other players... Uh, we're all in, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's almost alien compared to like D and D horror stories on Reddit. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I read that shit. Well, I don't read that shit, but when I hear about that shit, I'm like, why don't you just find another group? Like that's like an easy thing to do <laughs> or something. I'm like, look, I, I play with the gaming elite when <laughs> like, don't you? <laughs> damn hell ass kings with monkey butlers you know and you know that's the kind of people that jesse attracts and enables is good gamers oh thanks man Mm -hmm. yeah i would totally play another exalted game i don't think i would ever run an exalted game though is that weird no i i mean like if you're a lore completionist, I don't know if you necessarily are, but I know how you feel about Eberron. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I know how I feel about Eberron. And I know how I feel about Exalted as well. If you are a lore completionist and you have even the slightest worry about getting the world right, you should probably, um, and you don't have like years to read hundreds of pages of pretty lurid prose. I've done that part. You probably exalted. <laughs> it's not the game for you. Um, but there's, they made a rules lighter version mm-hmm. of three E called exalted essence edition. And the rules were explained in only four 40 minute podcasts. <laughs> so. Wow. No. Okay. Okay. The rules were explained in about 10 minutes of time spread over four 40 minute podcasts that had actual play examples at the end and story ideas. <laughs> Listener, have you ever had the experience where you go over to a friend's house, there's a bunch of people around and somebody comes up with the bright idea to play a board game and then like nobody wants to actually learn how to play the board game. And then you have that one poor son of a bitch who like opens up the rule book and is like reading it and then trying to teach everybody, but nobody's really paying attention except for that one person who's learning everything. And then you play the game and the person who is clearly winning is the person who actually read the rules and then tried to explain them to everybody else. But since nobody else actually paid attention, that's given that person who actually knows how to play the game a clear advantage, right? And then everybody begins to turn on that person because they're like, well, you know the rules and we don't. So you're obviously using it against us. And the person who read the rules is like, but I did what I was asked to do. That's what it's like playing with Jesse. <laughs> in in D&D and other role-playing games. He always knows more about whatever you're doing than everybody else. And most of the time, like 99.9% of the time, it's an advantage. And then there are the rare cases where you're like, oh shit, I feel incredibly inept right now. <laughs> like <laughs> that is kind of how the Age of Sigmar game is going at the moment. Because in that game, my character is like, I have a goal 
I'm going to try to pursue this goal. Oh, the person who has the thing I want, wants prisoners or subjects for their diabolical experiments, I'm assuming. And my character is not that bright. So they're like, okay, I can find you some prisoners, right? Some bad people. I'll just go to the prison and then approach the warden and be like, hi, I'd like some prisoners, please. <laughs> that person has something I want. These people are probably really bad. There's no, there's no good doesn't exist in this world as best I can tell. And he's like, yeah, you know, I normally wouldn't go along with this, but I got this one prisoner. <laughs> he's kind of causing a problem here. And my character is like, huh, but aren't you in control? You're the warden. And the guy smiles and is like, of course I am. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'll meet him. So I go to meet him. And then Jesse pulls fucking Hannibal Lecter out of his ass in front of me. And all of a sudden, my guy is like, I'm like, I feel completely out of my element. This guy's behind bars, is telling the guards when he's going to have his dinner. And my guy's like, oh, shit, I came in here to try to take this guy and give him to this <laughs> other guy. But right now, I just want to know what this guy's deal is. <laughs> so now Jesse's NPC has my character like completely mind fucked to the point where my character, if we have a young one style living arrangement in the age of Sigmar, right? Which you he's, do. You very much do. He's like sitting in his room. My character basically, I was trying to figure out who he is in the young ones. He's basically Neil at this point. <laughs> you know oh, what I mean? Man. <laughs> I wonder how many lentils I've eaten in my life. <laughs> like he is completely broken. Because he doesn't understand how this guy is sitting in a prison cell dictating how things are going and why it's working so well. And this is the advantage that Jesse has that that pops up in that that less than a percent where it's like, you're like, I am outmatched here. I don't know what to do next. Sorry. <laughs> you know, the whole thing about this, this, it just made me so happy to hear you rate that that whole thing from visiting the person who wanted prisoners. And for listeners, if you're in the know, the person he was visiting was an Ideneth soul scryer. So why would they want prisoners? <laughs> all of that was improv within the context of the city. Yeah. Like and, all of that was just a reaction to what you were trying to do in the game. That I was like, what would make it interesting? It's like the, it is the best moment of improv for me in that game. Yeah. And, and the fact that it worked so effectively is mind boggling to me. <laughs> I'm like, is there like a fucking role I can make? It says I'm intimidating on my character sheet, but I don't feel very intimidating right now. <laughs> yeah. I kind of feel like a fucking write asshole. write down the NPC's name but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> yeah, he'll escape. You guys will have a moonlight duel and then you'll kiss. Like, I don't, that's, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, the price just went up. He's... <laughs> We so we're just bantering. I gotta tell the. Can we tell the story? Yeah, but you gotta be careful. Okay, okay. We had a friend. Have a friend. Uh, good dude. Um, played Shadowrun with us. We're in this situation. I had just gotten, I think, like the Amazonia source books. So I'm all like, yeah, piracy, Amazonia. They're gonna sail to the Amazon and take this 
hit job on like a feathered serpent or something that's like given Aslan and as technology a big hassle and they're just deniable enough and so they're on the boat right Sur <laughs> surrounded by the crew of this pirate ship basically like modern pirate ship not you know not like uh two-masted like yeah they're on this they get some news from the captain relaying information from the fixer <laughs> And this dude has the gall to turn back to the captain surrounded by his crew and say the price for the the price just went up. So I just described all of the crew reaching for their weapons, giving him a meaningful stare as, you know, yeah, mm -hmm. I don't know. Price just went up. Yeah, that's that's what happened on my spine <laughs> uh, when I would <laughs> realized I was outmatched. I realized it was really. It wasn't so much about the characters any moment as it was just like Jesse's way smarter than me, <laughs> you know, because he it like think about what a mind fuck this is for me as a player character. Like he just completely pulled this out of his ass. And I know he did because I know how he runs a game. I know like me, he wants to do as little prep as possible, but I also know I do way more prep than him. <laughs> And I also know he's super cool under any kind of gaming improv pressure. So I am watching him unfold this in front of me. And I'm just like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I just need something gross. <laughs> that's that's really helpful because I spend a lot of time running these pre-made adventures trying to avoid that pressure mm -hmm. to keep the pacing up. Mm -hmm. like just and then sometimes i get in a situation where i can't avoid it and i'm like oh yeah i do actually like this but you but i i i think whatever you're doing in the way that you're doing it i think is the correct way because it has now changed my character this moment has changed my character okay and i think it's going to be a really good uh character turn for him it's going to start giving him definition um, in ways that I hadn't planned. So just like that, in the moment, the character has now taken on more structure and purpose than he had before. Mm -hmm. And it's because he got grossed out with dealing with Jesse's NPC character, outsmarted him in a matter of seconds. <laughs> <laughs> the character in the cell... <laughs> Although you're you're very much he does have a lot of that I'm not you're not I'm not trapped in here with you you're trapped in here with me mm -hmm. energy uh, his name is the Black Fang and he is uh, a rather striking um, elf uh, who speaks in a very sort of posh upper class accent despite being in prison and uh, apparently everyone in the jail is scared of him Including and the city is ample guard that's. <laughs> My character, who is a Stormcast Eternal, who has died in a, more than a few battles and had his soul ripped apart and reconstructed, <laughs> whatever comes close to fucking fucked up heaven in this in this game, <laughs> and he's like terrified of this guy. <laughs> yeah, this guy has a sense of freedom that my character didn't even know existed. 
Like my character is locked into this vicious cycle of serving Sigmar and is, is having difficult time coming to terms with that. But this guy in a cell has more freedom than my character. And it had this concept has broken him inside. And that's what I'm saying. Like a, a character arc is now forming for this character. Now, finally, like he was on the path up and this is like the first, this is like the level up for him. You know what I mean? Yep. That's amazing. I'm so glad you keyed off that. So, so much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, from the warden's perspective, a, a, a storm cast just shows up at like the worst prison in Anvil Guard. And it's just like, I need prisoners. And he's like, oh, I can't just really. Oh, I could get rid of that guy who terrifies me. A storm cast could probably take him out. Yeah, here, go get that guy. And then you're like, no, nah, that dude's he's too fucking scary. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was the equivalent of my guy being like, all right, uh, so he and I talked. I'll be right back. And then and then he just like fucking makes a bolt for the door. <laughs> I mean, I don't we didn't play that out, but that's how it is in my head as he was, you know, the warden's like, so you taking him or what? And he's like, oh, I'll be back for him later. <laughs> and he just doesn't come back. Yeah. Or I was thinking maybe he does come back. And then we push the Hannibal Lecter shit even further. Hello, Clarice. I just, yeah, you when you guys buy supplies for the jungle expedition, there's a note in one of the packs just like, I so enjoyed your visit. Perhaps oh, we should no. talk again. <laughs> That's perfect. I would love that. Black Fang. <laughs> um. You'll pay for the seat, but you'll only need the edge. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. That uh, Truckosaurus is out there in the jungle, though. <laughs> You'll fight him later. Yeah. I got a present from my past self. From your pastor? I didn't know you were religious. Uh, I'm not, but I keep one in the basement. And, okay. uh, Every once in a while, I just need some spiritual counsel. Fantastic. I don't, I don't know which story to tell because that reminded me of a thing I did at Dwarf Day. I insisted we hold the grudges. And I think we had probably the highest attended Dwarf Day we've had yet. Wow. Yeah. Like was eight a, people? No, no. I think there were probably like, like 18 people here. Wow. Pack of feral children chasing each other with weapons. They took the horns out of the Viking helmets and used them as claws. And I was like... My daughter's finally evolved into a hook horror. I'm so proud. <laughs> but I insisted everyone stand up there waiting until we could bring the Bluetooth speaker for the liturgical music. Liturgical music. Wow. Yeah. Apparently there's some poem called like the song of Durin and mm -hmm. uh, some acapella group has like a spooky version of it so i made everybody stand there quietly listening to the five minute long song of durin oh before i recorded the grudges and nobody grudged me i was like wow well yeah. to be fair it's not wise to begrudge someone who is a past grudge miser how did our new grudge miser work out he was the first grudge because the curse struck again oh no Oh no, that's terrible. I was really hoping he was going to break the curse. I know. And he did say, he did say misguided though. He was, and I know he's a listener. So 
Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Uh, he did shave his beard off in shame at having failed to learn the runes. Wow. That is commitment. Which I thought was a, a touching gesture. Yeah. Um, but if but you he really still meant it, he would have burned it off. That's the only way. If you really meant it, he would have burned his beard off in front of all the children. <laughs> <laughs> now that would have been a dwarf kind of day holiday. to remember. Yeah. Wow. Will there ever be another grudge miser? I think I can start teaching Shay in three or four years. He'll be ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, is... I made, okay, so I made, Lottie had this little whiteboard, and so I wrote in rooms on it, uh, what was it, Feast Mine Grudge, like live, laugh, love. That's amazing. <laughs> had it set up, and Sheridan was obsessed with, he's like, what's that? And now I keep finding these papers all over the house where he's copied it meticulously. Oh, wow. Like, and I think he can now do it from memory. Oh, cool. 